Welcome back to Marvel Maniac, an MCU after show. This is your host, Eric Cicada, a.k.a. Mr. Honest. I am back here with you today to cover a brand new Marvel superhero. He is ready to take the mantle of one of the great superheroes of our time, I believe. And I think he has a lot of great stories ahead of him, not only including this one. With his powers in this movie, he exemplifies so much. This has been a story that has been kind of alluded to since the very beginning of the MCU in 2008, since the first Iron Man, when the Ten Rings have been introduced, and Iron Man 3, where they were reintroduced. This is our after show for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So let's get right into the movie. Running at two hours and 15 minutes, but the movie carries at a great pace. Simu Liu is perfect as Shang-Chi, and I wouldn't choose anyone else. Aquafina as Katie as well, so good. Tony Chiao Wai Leong as uh, Wan Wu, uh, Wen Wu, his dad. Amazing. I'd say if anyone was going into this movie underestimating it, they're in for a great surprise and they're in for a treat because this movie tells a fantastic story of family, not only, and love. And the love story is not just between the main character and who you would ship him with, which is his best friend Katie, which I think they could be perfect together. This movie doesn't go into that stereotype of the superhero needs the lover. We get into the story of his his mom and his dad and how they fell in love, and that drives the movie. The love between a family um, brought together and then divided, and then attempted to being brought together again under circumstances. And those circumstances are dark at the end of the movie yet amazing what we see at the end of the movie it's just marvel at its best now we learn from the beginning of this film that the legend of the ten rings has been passed down and told for thousands of years i think the way that they set this up in this movie gives us an opportunity to learn about the history of the ten rings in future movies Wenwu really ruled history with these rings. Um, like, he, he pretty much had a grasp on all the known timeline of Marvel that we learn in this movie. As the movie tells us, he worked in the shadows, so he got away with it. He got away with everything. So when Shang-Chi saves the world from his father, he saves the world from the Ten Rings. Essentially, this ages-old villain... Um, that has been ruling in, and causing mischief uh, in the background that, you know, most of our heroes probably would have gone for, you know, if they'd known about, even if they'd had a chance. And when we meet Sean, he's just trying to lead a regular life, trying to get away from this, but he's just dragged right back into it because he's trying to save his family. In the short time, Sean's dad, Wenwu, took a break from his crime escapade uh, he, he lost his power. I think Sean meeting, meeting Katie's family in the movie is very endearing, and I think this whole phase revolving around family in one way or another is very important, and I think the Avengers in this next phase are all fighting for their families big time. Not that they weren't before, it's just being shown a lot more now than it was before. The fight for the pendants in the earlier half of the movie is a lot of fun, and it's a great way of bringing magic to the world of Shang-Chi. We get Clev on the bus again, uh, grading the fight between Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. 
Clev introducing himself in Homecoming, asking Spider-Man to do a flip, which is just one of my favorite scenes and now it's just good to have these reoccurring appearances that continuity in the marvel movies is my favorite thing ever when we get these characters walking in and out of movies like that so clev is more than welcome to just make himself known in all the marvel movies um somehow if it makes sense filming the fights and posting them online as long as it's not harming the heroes and stopping them from getting the job done sean is the type of hero who would run to a fight to save uh, you know, save the world, but he does get the fight kind of thrust upon him in this movie. He, he doesn't really have as much of a choice, um, but he does go on an adventure to save the world, like most heroes do. There's that moment where he chooses. He could run away, you know, or he can go save his sister. And this is the moment where you become a little suspicious of his sister um, towards the beginning of the movie, if you're looking closely, because um, his sister is running this giant fight club in Macau, which just is a little tiny bit suspicious, if you ask me, in the first place. And it is totally backed by the Ten Rings, but Shang is not looking at it that way. He's just looking to save his sister. We learn at the fight club that the video that Clev recorded goes viral. Shang gets known as Busboy from the video, and Katie gets known as the driver. I'm thinking that in the next movie, Xiaoling, Sean's sister, will be revealed to have been working with Sean's dad all along to get him back into the Ten Rings, if not just get revenge for leaving. Um, they, I think they both seriously blame Sean, uh, Sean for the death of his, of, of their, his wife slash her mom. And that is also broken down kind of very slowly in this movie through flashbacks. Sean is kind of basically punished for that death. Um, through training and it's not that he wouldn't have been trained this way if she, you know I, I don't know I she probably, he probably wouldn't have been trained this way if she hadn't hadn't died because the ten rings probably wouldn't have been reassembled if she hadn't died so yeah basically Sean was basically like really punished for the death of his mom and he's in a state of denial about having gone and being sent to take out the guy who was responsible for it and there's a point in the movie where he tells katie that he didn't do it but there later he we find out that he actually did do it so there is a dark side to sean that is later to be explored uh, once he does pick up at the end of the movie the ten rings and that side of his dad that kind of turns to the dark side of these ten rings the blue color versus the gold color that sean does possess sean is on the light side of the ten rings um but we got, he has to be very, very careful because once that dark side enhances him, um, you know, it seems like Sean is almost like more powerful with the rings than his dad, potentially. So it's almost like, will he be a threat to the Avengers with these ultra, mega, super ancient weapons? Because the fight with Wenwu towards the end of the movie is really an internal struggle of him being led to this door. Abomination and Wong get it on at this fight club in Macau, Macau called the Golden Daggers Club. And we will see some ramifications for that in the show She-Hulk. And I'm not going to spoil that in this episode, but you have to watch She-Hulk if you haven't. Uh, we talk about that. Um, we broke that down a few weeks ago. So go listen to our She-Hulk after show after you watch She-Hulk and we talk about that. And that's what I'm talking about. That integration with these movies and these shows... Uh, it's just very special and not a lot of big screen media can do that and pull it off 
Wong is the master of the mystic arts, and he really makes his way around this phase. And it's fair to say that he is super, super important when it comes to the next Avengers movie and all the Avengers stories going forward. I think he might be the Nick Fury in calling like the beacon for the Avengers for the next threat, whether that be Kang, which I think it is, considering the next Avengers movie is called Kang Dynasty. Uh, I think that he might be seriously the, the guy to go to where everyone rallies. At this fight club, Shang and his sister also have it on, and he loses, and this is where another attack from the Ten Rings is pursued upon Shang to get the necklaces from him and his sister, and they win, and this is where Shang, his dad, and the sister all meet yet again, um, and this is kind of where the family reunion takes place up until that escape finally happens, and Shang makes his return home. Uh, his actual home, his mother's home, Tao Lo. What would happen if someone as powerful as Wenwu knew of someone kind of impersonating him and gave himself a fake name called the Mandarin? Well, Trevor Slattery didn't do this on purpose. He was kind of hired to do this in Iron Man 3. If you're a fan of that movie, you were probably like me, very excited to see Trevor Slattery in this movie um, bring back that part. And Ben Kingsley is a, was a treat to have in this movie. And just exceptional <laughs> exceptional that's the best way i could put it um and a really great comedic relief in this movie uh, I, I, lo I loved having him along the along for the ride him and morris morris as well and all the creatures that kind of come along after we meet him in Talo. there's birds with flaming wings nine-tailed foxes white nine-tailed foxes that are just gorgeous so many morrises by the time we get to Talo. Chilins, which are like dragon horses um you know just this is a whole other land that, that basically could be on the other side of the universe it's just like a portal connecting um earth to this land and the people of talo sean's mom and her people are guarding this portal sean's mom was guarding this portal obviously she she's not anymore she did a very good job of doing so though if you ask me i think she technically gave her own life and sacrifice everything to not let Wu get into Talo when he first nearly entered. He probably would have gotten in that first time if it wasn't for her um, at the very beginning of the movie. She, she kind of seduced him away from Talo. We learned before Sean, Katie, Trevor, Morris, and Jialing escape that Wu had been obsessing over Talo ever since the death of his wife so this has been his goal ever since she passed away just to get back there so it was a great thing that sean left with that pendant another creature we get to see in talo are the food dogs the giant lion creatures that guard the actual city with the people and those things are epic uh yeah i i think one of the coolest things about the second half of this movie is the mythical magic part that we get after none of it, nearly none of it in the first half. Um, it kind of knocks you on your back a little bit. Have I talked enough about Razor Fist? <laughs> How amazing he is? And just the sub-villainry in that. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I think it was a really, really good choice to have a guy like Razor Fist in the movie. Um, that's it. They took his car um, from the facility of all people. Like, like, did he deserve that? Probably not. Uh, however, he, he got that end of the stick and that's the car that they ended up driving into Talo. Ying Nan, Sean's aunt, informs Sean that 
There are people who have been there for over 4,000 years. Guarding the Dark Gate. The Dark Gate is the exact thing that Wenwu is trying to get behind to find his wife. And it is just the wrong choice. And he is so insistent that this is the right way to get there. And he is hearing her exact voice behind this gate. And it is um, a mirage. You get the feeling that he's been wearing these rings for so long that it's giving him like mirages like i said the gate sits behind a giant lake uh which we learn what sits under that lake is this epic dragon that sean ends up riding and man i i think that's so signature actually later in marvel will sean bring that dragon out to fight uh and defend the universe <laughs> i don't know it seems like sean is going to need that thing again at some point and sorry that that creature that noble mythic creature i don't mean to call it a thing when it's so epic and powerful <laughs> wenwu is so old if you think about it and he is so set in his ways that by the time he gets to this door he is not going to listen to anybody's reason or rhyme on if he should or shouldn't even try to knock this thing down with his fists and his rings and by the time he gets to this door I'm not even thinking that Sean is going to possess the power of these rings himself. I don't think that he's going to take the rings and turn them back on his dad and he's going to use them to fight his, his, his own father. Um, I know that Sean's going to need to take down his dad, but I don't think that Sean's going to need the rings to do it. And I think it's so earned when Sean does get the power of the rings. It's so powerful and it is so earned and Oh, it brings like almost like tears to my eyes just talking about it because when Sean does get the power of the rings, it is just so powerful. He is so disingenuous when we on trying to get back there to get to his wife that you don't really fully understand what his actual goal is by the time he's going to get her. Um, he wants to burn down Talo. Um, it's just it makes you so mad that you would almost hope that Sean would stop at nothing to stop his own father. Um, however, you know the history, you know what Sean's lost. I just don't want Sean to lose any more. You know what I mean? So it's so complicated. The weapons of the Ten Rings are powered by the Ten Rings, if you know what I mean. They're charged with the negative blue energy of Wenwu. So I'm wondering if Shang-Chi could use his rings to help like an Avengers army fight if ever need be since that power can be transmitted so, sort of like the power of the tesseract i guess but put in the wrong hands it could just be used so badly shang chi's dragon scale outfit and staff are really cool and i i like them a lot um i think he as far as the superhero outfits go uh one of a kind and really cool i think a mask would be really cool but you wouldn't want to cover up that face uh no one no actors really want that um but I think, I think, you know, a mask would look really cool, too. I think Zhao Ling's intentions are true to help Shang. And um, until, like, maybe the very end when she sees an opening for power. Because um, we do get that post credit scene in this movie that shows Zhao Ling taking the Ten Rings and taking, taking them for herself. Which just is very dangerous because she knows the entrance to Talo and she knows how to get there on her own. So what does that really mean in terms of power? At least she doesn't have the actual rings herself. So she can't 
technically do a whole lot of damage in that sense, but with that army and with that power of the army, she could do a whole lot of damage to the uh, secret portal to the other world. Um, that's that's a battle between worlds right there that, that she could start. Wenwu is praying at his wife's shrine in Talo before he carries out his mission to try and get her from beyond that dark wall. And this kind of tells us that he is genuine in his intentions. He's trying to save her, um, even though she's not really there. He knows she died. He knows she's not there. A part of him has to know that. However, he, he's really hell-bent on just getting back there and, and insisting on saving her from something that she can't be saved from, which is death. Um, death is permanent. As far as we know in Marvel thus far, I don't know, unless they can find the Dragon Balls or something like that, you know what I mean? I, I don't know uh, if it's possible for him to bring his wife back actually, but this does not seem like the way. Are you planning to stop me all by yourself, Wenwu asks his son, and Sean finally tells his dad, I'm not afraid of you, before their final confrontation. That's a really, really big deal if you ask me, because I think Sean has been afraid of his dad his whole life. Wenwu gives Sean all this bullshit about how it was his fault that his wife died. He shouldn't have gotten into this life of crime if he didn't want his wife to die. You know, it, it's just a whole load of garbage, especially to put it on his son, who's been living with that regret his whole life. There's a scene where they're fighting Wenwu and Sean, and Sean is batting the rings away with the staff, and Sean sort of has Wenwu on the ground, and he says, even if you could bring her back, what makes you think she'd want anything to do with you? And this is kind of the thing that maybe Sean shouldn't have said. This is where his staff breaks, because Wenwu is so angry, he breaks it with his fist, and uses five rings to gut Sean, and then he takes the rings back, and then punches him again with them, um, sending Sean flying way back into the lake. This is when Wenwu looks at the wall and he hears, save me, save me, my dear. And it's just hard to watch because we know it's not real and he's just being completely deceived. And if he used any judgment um, and he wasn't in this like fast forward running to the finish line to do something um, without thinking about it, he'd save a lot of lives and a lot of, a lot of pain. He starts striking the wall with his fists and he uses the rings to start breaking through it. It takes the power of all 10 rings and the the wall is like kind of blocked by scales in that of itself. So it's like this dark dragon hiding, hiding behind here. This dark soul sucking dragon that we, uh, we get to meet. The army starts to really team up when the demons start attacking both sides of the armies. Razor Fist is the one to announce this to the armies that we should work together after he almost gets completely slaughtered by one of these demons and he gets saved by Nan. These demons leave the cave and they go get souls and then they bring it back to the cave. It's very, very dark. Jelling asks what they're doing and Nan says, stealing souls to feed the dweller in darkness. If it grows strong enough, it will break right through the gate, which it does. I really like that Katie eventually picks up a bow and starts shooting it. Like, she wasn't doing a whole lot except for driving, which, I mean, wait, we needed a really good wheel woman, but she needed to pick up the bow. She, she was a little bit afraid to do it, and thank God she did. Because she was the shot that determined the literal saving, like, she saved the day here with her, with her final shot. The one shot she took, she saved the day. Uh, and I really am willing to believe that Katie would be the one to do that. She's awesome.
At the bottom of the lake, Shang meets the dragon, and the dragon is gorgeous at this point of the movie. It's green, white, and red, uh, kind of silvery, actually, and it flies out of the lake and just destroys, obliterates a bunch of these demons all at once with Sean riding his back. Shang-Chi rides on the back of the Great Protector's head, and it just eats all these demons, but not every single one as they make their way to town, and the people there have to fight them off. Zhao Ling and a rope dart get some really cool scenes in this movie, by the way. Wenwu keeps slamming his fists into this wall despite all the damage it is causing and all the terror and all the craziness. He just keeps trying to get back behind this wall. Sean tells his dad she's not back there and he tells his son to get out of his way and he tells him no. Shang-Chi draws a half circle in the dirt with his toe and performs a series of graceful movements ending with his hands poised in front of him. This is like the exact move that his mom did to get his dad down at the beginning of the movie and his mom was teaching him this in flashbacks earlier in the movie as well so it all comes together here. Wenwu shoots one of the rings at Shang-Chi but it bounces off the gate. He attacks his son and the two men fight in close proximity. Shang-Chi seizes his father's arm, draws it back behind him and pushes him down, then spins him. Seen from above, they move in slow motion, their eyes locked together. Wenwu breaks free, blasting Shang-Chi back. Wenwu flips energy whips at Shang-Chi and then tries hand-to-hand -hand combat. Shang-Chi nimbly blocks his blows and then strikes him in the chest. The force then sending the older man flipping through the air. He lands on his feet, rock breaking beneath him as he slows to a stop. Spinning for momentum, Wenwu casts the blue whip at Shang-Chi. Wu puts out his hands. The whip responds and Shang-Chi moves it around himself at lightning speed. He jumps horizontally several feet off the ground and the whip circles him. As he lands, a small shockwave annihilates the energy, leaving only the five rings, now glowing orange, orbiting him. The view alternates between flashbacks of his mother guiding him through the graceful forms as a child and Shang-Chi performing them in the present, using them to control the rings, and this is just so awesome. He swoops his arms in opposite directions, then brings his wrists together as he shifts his gaze to his father. Seething, Wenwu swings a blue energy whip of his remaining five rings at Shang-Chi. This is like a lightsaber battle with the ten rings. Five rings versus five rings. Father versus son. Yeah, this is one of the most epic scenes. And this is why I'm kind of choosing this scene to do my breakdown narration for in this movie. Um, I decided not to break down every single action scene in this movie. Um, but this one. The two whips now lock together, one ring hovering at the point where the weapons connect. The two men glower over the streams of energy when Wenwu yanks his back to free it. Shang-Chi wraps his own around Wenwu, flinging him into the air. Shang-Chi uses the rings as steps at one point, which is just epic. Wenwu uses his rings to deflect the attack from Shang, and they just completely collide and then separate really harshly. Wenwu slams his fist into the ground, the rings traveling below the surface towards Shang-Chi. Wenwu clenches his fist and his rings burst through the ground, throwing Shang-Chi into the air. His father blasts the rings at his son. The light that, like, with a punch that Shang received from his father in that last blow, it looked like a meteor. At this point, Shang takes all the rings and he walks through the haze and there are no longer blue rings. They're all fiery orange. Even though Sean has the chance to take his dad down, he doesn't. He drops the rings at his dad's feet, and his dad still says, I have to save her, she's calling to me. And Sean says, I wish that were true, but your family needs you. This is at that moment we hear, let me out one more time, and Dweller in Darkness, the giant beast of a soul-sucking monster, breaks out. 
when we use the rings one last time, not for himself, but to save his son, uh, to blast his son out of the way from the Dweller in the Darkness. And this is the last thing he does. Just before the Dweller in Darkness takes Wenwu, he transfers the rings to his son, and they turn from blue to that fiery golden orange that we know is that light side of the Force, in a sense. I gotta stop using Star Wars reference. However, in the multiverse, I don't know, somewhere out there, Tatooine exists in the multiverse. This is when Xiaoling shows up riding the Great Protector to attack the Dweller in Darkness, and we have one of the most epic dragon fights you would ever imagine in Marvel. I didn't know there was going to be dragon fights in Marvel when Iron Man came out, but <laughs> we get a dragon fight. There is that moment where Katie has to save the Great Protector from getting its soul sucked. And, man, that was very dangerous because if that didn't happen, the whole universe might very well have been destroyed. So thanks to Katie, she saved the universe in that exact moment. Really good to see Sean and his sister working together to take down the Dweller in Darkness alongside the Great Protector. And this fight sequence is beyond epic. And when we get to see the dragon um, in action, it's just... It makes you wonder about the possibilities of the future of Marvel, but not only that, it's just it's like, how far has Marvel come in general? Um, like I said, dragon fights. <laughs> Using the rings to walk and swing through the air, it's really cool to see Shang use the, ring, the rings for mobility. He makes his way towards the beast's head after they've done some damage on it alongside the Great Protector. Xiaoling uses her rope dart which is kind of hinted at that's like her main weapon the whole movie, so that is used to hold the beast's mouth open and Sean sends all the rings into its, its mouth. Time slows as Shang-Chi seems to float weightlessly above the dweller. He crosses his arms in front of his body, then thrusts both hands down, and the rings glow brightly inside of the dweller. Plummeting toward the demon, Shang-Chi spins in the air, and the rings mirror him as the dragon continues attacking the dweller. He shoots through the sky like a comet as he nears the dweller. The rings spin faster and faster inside the demon, then Shang-Chi positions one hand in front of him and the other behind. He clenches his fists, and the ten rings burst through the dweller, blowing it to pieces. The rings return to him, and the Great Protector swoops in to catch Shang-Chi, making him the legend of the ten rings. He, he, he is the legendary holder, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I thought that was legendary, the way he took that beast down. And it makes these, um, this equipment that he's using, it's almost like his Captain America shield. Um, he was a superhero, he was superhero enough before he got these things. And now he is just like this beyond epic superhero. I've used the word epic more than a few times here. Um, earned, earned by Shang-Chi here in this movie, in his title movie. We lost a lot of people because of Wenwu here, and that just cannot be forgotten. And, um... Like the moral here is don't chase dark demon spirits into the afterlife um, when we know they're already gone. I don't know. Uh, and just stick with your family. Stick with your family that's already there with you telling you, um, telling you the truth. We get our movie ending with Shang and Katie telling their friends about their escapades. Um, their friends pretty much not believing them at the uh, bar slash restaurant they're in. And they get a visit from one of our favorite Sorcerer Supremes, Wong. Wongers, a reference 
uh, a, a reference. I will give you a She-Hulk reference. It's the only She-Hulk reference I will give you um, as I post this late review. Wong introduces himself, and Sean says, I know I'm a huge fan. Wong asks Sean if he has the rings, and he says, yes. He says, good, let's go. We have a lot to talk about. He says, you too, to Katie. So Katie is also <laughs> very much a part of this. They leave with Wong through the portal. Just the crossing of dimensions in this movie like that. Like, and, and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general, we love these crossovers. And when we get them like this at the end of a movie, ah, it just delivers chills. It delivers so many chills. Our post credit scene has Wong studying the Ten Rings, which sit on a table in front of him. He enlarges a copy of one in like a hologram form. Kind of reminds me of what Tony Stark does um, when he's like kind of looking and breaking things down in his lab. They don't match any artifacts from our codex, he says. What do you think, he asks, a hologram of Bruce Banner. I'm not sure, they're not vibranium. Shatari, he asks, another hologram of Captain Marvel. Not like any alien tech I've seen, she says. And she has her long hair back. So I wonder if in her movie that we're going to uh, see her in, she's going to have short hair, then long hair. Or that's just for an Avengers Endgame. Like she, I mean, people have different haircuts at different times, am I right? I like long hair Captain Marvel a lot. How long did your dad have them before he gave them to you? Uh, Carol asked Sean. About a thousand years, he says. Their thermal luminescence indicates that they're older than that. By a lot, Bruce tells them. Wong tells them that the first time Sean used the rings, that they felt it in Kamartage. So when Sean uses the rings, more powerful than when his dad uses the rings. It's, he, he has much more power in... I'll say it, the force with these rings, then it's just an example, <laughs> uh, then his dad, he's stronger because he's from Talo. His dad wasn't from Talo. However, his dad discovered these rings, which we will probably discover in the sequel. Um, he is not from this magical land. Um, Sean is. Sean has like the blood of this ancient land of Talo flowing through him. Wong zooms deep into the rings and there's like neural pathways in there and there's a glowing beacon of light coming out of it. Sean asks what it is and Carol says a beacon and Bruce says they're sending a message. Sean asks them a message to where? Carol says, I'm so sorry, I have to deal with this. You can get my, you can get my number from Bruce. As she gets a message on her like computer overlay thing. <laughs> the way Bruce replies and says, I, I don't have her number is just so genuine. She does this a lot, he says. I stay safe and welcome to the circus, Bruce tells them. And he still has the sling around his arm from the snap in Avengers Endgame. Um, you know how he got that. And if you don't, go watch Avengers Endgame right now. You are listening to the wrong podcast. Bruce leaves and, he's, and Wong tells them that I know this is a lot to take in, but you're going to have to start getting used to that. From now on, the trajectory of your lives will be like nothing you've ever experienced before. And there's no going back, he tells them. You both have a long journey ahead of you. And it, we see the look on Katie and Sean's face is kind of like, really? Uh, us? <laughs> Wong tells them to go home and get some rest, and Katie says, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, and they all are in a karaoke bar singing Hotel California, which is a running joke in the movie. Um, it's something that Katie does when she's in distress. She'll sing Hotel California to get out of bad situations. And that is the rule of three joke right there. And we get it for a third time. Wong really knows how to get down and party. I mean, I really like Wong. I think in this phase of Marvel, he's really stealing the show. 
our post-post-credit scene has Zhao Ling at her dad's former base of operations looking at a photo of her mom taking a seat on the throne of the Ten Rings and if you weren't sure if she is really doing this she says let's get started we have a lot of work to do and yeah she is definitely going to be picking up where her dad left off the people at her side are john john the guy who was running the club with her and razor fist i love the rap song that's playing um as we zoom out to see her soldiers doing their maneuvers her army is mostly women badass powerful women so um expect a really, really powerful display of uh, women coming at Shang-Chi in the next movie, or if it just happens to be an Avengers movie. Now, a prediction is, for me is, like, who's going to come down to Earth looking for the Ten Rings? Who was working with the Ten Rings um, back when Wenwu was in power? It was probably somebody like Red Skull, um, who might be freed now, from his duties of guarding the soul stone so i'm a little seriously concerned that the new head of the ten rings at their base of operations which has probably stood there for a very long time may get a visitor in the form of a red skull uh that that is my kind of solid in my opinion prediction um and i'm very 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 scared for shan chi if he's gonna have to go down and face a new army um that might be ran by the red skull it, it, it might be like a captain america level sequel um that that that's hearsay though that is a marvel maniac prediction and oh my goodness you think after all they went through together sean's sister wouldn't want to do like bad things after seeing like what her dad just did but maybe she wants to like in her own way make up for what her dad was doing towards the end um I don't know. We're, we're probably going to learn a lot about that in the sequel. I hope the sequel comes really soon because I thought this movie was just a lot of fun. I even wonder if a sequel will come before an Avengers movie. Like we got Iron Man 1 and 2 before we got uh, even the first Avengers. This could be like that where we get Shang-Chi 1, Shang-Chi 2 before we even get Kang Dynasty. Because I really do think Shang-Chi is going to have a really big part to play in the next Avengers. I think he is a key hero here. To see him team up with like Spider-Man, She-Hulk, um, all the other new Avengers, it's going to be really, really cool, especially with those rings. To see those rings go into combat with our heroes, um, I can see Spider-Man using um, his webs to fling the rings around, and uh, to see to see those collaborations, um, it's going to be really cool. So I'm going to do something a little special. A year ago on our Marvel Studios, there was a discussion when this movie came out, and we're going to go look at that discussion. Um, Wild Camellia said, I just need to know whether Trevor named Morris or if Morris told Trevor that his name was Morris. <laughs> Goated Girl replied, so many questions. <laughs> uh, Star-Lord Who said, man, that bus scene is going down in history. Fucking insane. Yeah, that bus scene was really, really epic. Um, I really, really like the action in this movie. We got a lot of it. Rhino Roach replied to that. Fight choreography was great. Punches felt like they had weight to them. The guy streaming the whole thing had me cracking up. Yes, Clev is epic, and hopefully we see him getting some more material and streaming in later. Uh, Rhino Roach also said, Really want to know more about how Abomination and Wong are like friends now, or at least allies. Well, go watch She-Hulk. There is a lot more about that in She-Hulk, and that just came out and is now streaming on Disney Plus from this point in recording. Uh, that story is really out there so go watch it i'm not going to spoil it 
comic underscore says a bow and arrow finally saves the day and it isn't Hawkeye. Poor guy. <laughs> That's a really great comment. That is a really, really great comment. DJ Frames says, I haven't seen wire work like that since Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm actually blown away by the choreography in this. That scaffolding fight and the whole ending set piece were absolutely wild. Agreed. Panthief95 uh, replied, I swear I have not seen such a clean fight choreography from Marvel Studios since Winter Soldier. They knocked it out of the park in this movie. They really did. The scene where Wen Wu goes and avenges his wife was pretty intense, especially when he just blasts the dude's head right off in front of Shang-Chi. For real, with the, with the wings, I know. With the, with the wings, with the rings. I'm going to keep that in there. Um, there have been multiple times where I've been recording this, and I've said uh, wings instead of rings. Um, the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Wings. Um, yes, they're rings, honest, Mr. Honest. They're rings. <laughs> Tess Scully replied, hiding the violence and then using the mirrors on the wall while showing Shang-Chi watching was a great piece of cinematography. Even if it's something used before, that stood out to me. Yeah. The cinematography in this movie was fantastic. Paul Zamans 3 said, Tony Leung stole this movie. He was phenomenal. Uh, that is Wenwu. And yes, he was so good. He was a great, great antagonist. Big Laser 92 said, Wong doing karaoke with Shang-Chi and Katie was everything. Best post credit scene in the MCU by far. Everyone was laughing in my theater like crazy. Joe RCK said, I don't know what it is about Simu Liu taking roles that involve running away while his dad wants him to take over his business. <laughs> Wong is like everywhere. The Salty Solo said. Yeah, he is. Wong is everywhere. The Truth Hurts says Simu Liu oozes charisma and it's nice to see an MCU fanboy live out his dream. I honestly didn't think Marvel would be able to make a compelling character out of Shang-Chi, largely a Bruce Lee ripoff from the 70s, but here we are in Feige we trust. Kevin Feige agreed. Thank you for making and helping contribute to make such great movies and I'm going to leave it at that with Marvel Studios. Reddit.com slash Studios for your after discussions. Uh, that's where I go when I go to the movies and I want to talk Marvel. Aside from having a podcast, I go there to do my talking and discussing. So get over there right now and subscribe. What did you think about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? MarvelManiacPod at gmail.com with your theories, thoughts, afterthoughts, and anything else that you might have. Um, what do you think about this formatting for me? We're here at a 40-minute mark opposed to a three-hour mark instead <laughs> of me breaking down a beat-by-beat -beat of the movie, uh, which is something I'd usually be doing. Uh, you know, I did that for phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's kind of a Marvel maniac way of going about it. Uh, this is more of a recap of the movie, and I broke down one fight scene from the end. So... I'm going to be experimenting with my format going forward, similar to this. I really had a lot, probably like a lot more fun going into the movie this way. Please leave a positive review on the show. It goes a long way. Wherever you're listening, a thumbs up, five stars, whatever it is, it will get us out to more people. Share with a friend. And feedback goes a long way at marvelmaniacpod at gmail.com, opposed to on those reviews. Either way, you can be featured on the show if you email us as well as post a review. So we'd love to hear from you. I'll still be posting a review of this week's She-Hulk, and I'm excited to talk about that with you. Until next time, Avengers disassemble.